gentleness to express the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. It's a sort of coming together of humility, courtesy, considerateness, self-control that doesn't push itself to the front and proclaim, I am here and I claim my right, I deserve this. And so what we are considering is almost the antithesis of our current cultural moment. It's the opposite of the expressive individualism that colors almost all modern movements. So the wider culture says that, that we need to be true to ourselves and, and to speak our truth. And there is something deep within us that in order for us to be truly happy, we need to express out to the world. Rather than previous times when, when culture worked to restrain behavior, modern culture now urges that we express those behaviors and that the wider group needs to just make room for that expression. So what is important is the individual living their best lives and they do that by expressing their values and desires. Maybe this sounds familiar. But a spirit of gentleness, as Paul talks about it here, does not say, I claim my right, I deserve this. Instead, it lowers our opinion of ourselves and doesn't claim status or rights. Not in that way that people can show false humility, not by lying about our capacity so that we sort of artificially lower ourselves. It's just not pushing it forward. It's about being gentle. So this is what we're thinking about when we come to Ephesians, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. And with that in mind, let's see how that plays out in Ephesians. Look with me to verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, and immediately we've got two quick things to note with that. Firstly, that, that then at the end functions like a, like a therefore, and it is there to refer to all that has just come before it. In Ephesians, Paul has set out how we are saved by grace, how we have been united to Christ and the mystery of the gospel. So he's essentially saying here, because of who God is and all that he has done for me, because of all of that, he considers himself a prisoner for the Lord. And that's the second thing. Notice how naturally and how quickly Paul places the glory of, the God, of God and the gospel way up high and accepts his position way down low. That's just how he sees himself, as a prisoner of the Lord and delighted to be there. So for our purposes, we should note that that Paul doesn't push his status as, as apostle to the Gentiles, as missionary extraordinaire. He's not really impressed by all of that because of who he has just been talking about in the whole book. So it's a nice little expression straight away of the fruit of the Spirit. But let's continue. You can read there, Paul begs them to live a life worthy of their calling. Now we've come across this phrase before and we've seen that it means that that they have been called children of God. And because of that, Paul just wants them to live like they are children of God. So rather than pushing their own agendas or their own desires, Paul begs them to live according to, to God's agendas and God's desires. And then we get, if you're following along, a clause that describes what will, that will look like. So the walk in a manner is the instruction. And verses 2 and 3 are the description of that. Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing in love, maintaining unity and peace. 
And if you take notes, you can, you can note or circle that humility and gentleness are, are paired together as, as sort of complementary concepts here. So one way of walking according to the calling we have received is by being humble and not being impressed with a sense of our own importance. Now, you'll have no experience of this here in Hamilton Road, but if you can imagine for a second, sometimes when it comes to church life, some people can act in a way that creates problems. Okay, try and imagine. Believe me, there are places where this happens. Fallen humans can so easily jump onto hobby horses or are quick to take offense. We can think that we are so important that when we experience any disagreement, our heart immediately jumps to thinking, who do they think they are? Or maybe, don't they know who I am? And so we inflate our sense of self-importance so much that it's either unthinkable that someone would dare to question us or unimaginable that anyone could be so stupid as to see things differently. And when two fallen humans get together, you can be sure that pride and arrogance, the, the kind of the evil, murdered version of humility and gentleness, will bring about disunity and strife. Some of you will have been hurt in the past by that lethal combination. Some of you will have hurt others. I can't tell you how many people that I have hurt through my own pride my own arrogance. It's an insidious, quiet twisting of our hearts that reorientates our world to put us on the top and puts distance between us and others. So that when something comes up, when an issue comes up, we're already primed and ready to react just as the enemy would have us. But the default that Paul seems to have, the fruit of the Spirit produced in his life, was to lower his, self, his, his sense of self-importance. Not, not in a fake way. I mean, he clearly still maintains the authority that God has granted him. But he didn't believe the hype. He didn't let it go to his head. He knew that all his glory was like the light of the moon. He only shone because of what God was giving him. That is what we're looking for in our lives an awareness of where goodness comes from, an understanding that we can't boast in our gifts, that we can't credit ourselves with things that we haven't produced, an awareness that pride and arrogance result from idolatry where we have made ourselves into little gods, ready to be offended at any breach to our personal holiness. But I have to be careful here because what this is not saying, and you have to hear me, what this is not saying is just sit down and shut up. It's not saying that you can't critique or give feedback. That you can't confront people, your other brothers and sisters. Gentleness is not about being a pushover or about lying in order to not offend. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, still whipped people out of the temple for the sake of God's holiness. So it's not about being a pushover. Rather, the challenge to us is that if you think that your preferences are the most important thing, if you think that Mark should be playing the music that you like and the service should start at the time that suits you and the preaching should be in the style that you find most helpful, then you need to consider whether you're expressing the quality 
of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Or if you're subconsciously elevating your desires, your sense of importance above others. Now you can genuinely confront and say that something wasn't good or right, but all of that needs to happen if that's the case. If something's good, if it's not good, it's not right, then you need to confront. But the point that we should be making here is that those comments should come from a heart that's focused upon God and not our personal preferences. So in these opening verses, we see Paul's default is to lower his sense of self-importance. And really interestingly, he moves on to the next section in verse 4 without any kind of connector. So if you look there, there's no ands or ifs or buts. It's like the thought just stops and this thought takes over. So after lowering himself, this next thought sort of just bursts through. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See how many times that he says one. There's this singularity of thought to this, a concept that bursts through as he lowers his own importance. Now we see what takes center stage. Now we see what it, what is to be high and lifted up. Not Paul's desires and objectives, but God himself. And although there are references to us in there, the overarching tone is that we are lo- to look to God. He is the one that ties this all together. In your Bibles, you might have a, a heading saying unity in Christ or, or something similar. And we'd we'd usually preach this verse on the unity that Paul sets out. But what we shouldn't lose sight of is that this unity comes from the Spirit working in our lives. Look at verse 4. There is one body, that being the church, and one Spirit. So the Spirit binds us together into this one body where we declare one Lord, the Lord Jesus, making Him King and making us subject to His agenda and desires. So can you see this lowering of ourselves and the raising up of God? What's more, the Spirit gives us one faith, one way into the body and one place to trust rather than allowing us to think that we can enter because of our own standing or because of what we have done. One baptism, one sign of the covenant to which we are part that marks us out. So good living doesn't mark us. Being able to speak Christianese doesn't mark us. Culture doesn't mark us. It is the one baptism that marks us. So what we have here is a stripping away of anything that we can trust in, any work or quality that we have earned, and we can point in and say, that shows that I am a Christian. And once all of that is stripped away, he goes on to talk about the holiness and the greatness and the highness of God. Now, one thing we should note that here is that part of giving gifts, as, as, as verse 7 and onwards talks about, in the Greek culture, um, gifts would, would expect to be repaid, either between thre- friends or, or from the gods. And the greater the gift, the higher status that person was seen to have. But what we have here with God giving gifts to his people is that we just can't repay that. And it is the highest gift possible, the gift of salvation. 
So what this little section here and the mention of gifts does is to raise the importance and the character of God. And again, because there's no connection between those sections, it reads like the importance of God is so great that it just bursts through anything that Paul can say about himself to take center stage. So how is this related to gentleness? Well, if you think that this passage is about unity, one of the key needs for unity is that we do not fight for a position. We don't raise ourselves and our desires up and we, and we don't place ourselves on the throne. Rather, in, in lowering our own self-importance, we leave space for seeing what is actually important. We join as subjects to the true king. I was talking to a friend and he said that he's, he's all about the next promotion, the next step up the ladder, the, the next pay rise. And in his worldview, that's what's important. Job, status, comfort, wealth, they're all so close to him, so consuming of his vision that a lot of things that, that going to church offers just don't get a look in. I could talk to him about the importance of rest, of, of considering something bigger than yourself, of, of confessing faults. But that just wouldn't resonate with him because he has all these, completely, these, these things completely consuming his view. And you know, we can actually do that in the church as well. We can be really passionate about missions or justice or mercy ministry or our form of youth work or, or clubs that have been important to us in the past. And what we do is we raise their importance to the point that the church and faith become about serving those ministries. Here's, here's a test for you. If tomorrow the church just put a stop to the thing that you were most interested in, Say you love the, the English club or, or BB or the mums and tots things that we do. And the church just decided to not put on any of those ministries. What would your reaction be? Now, they're all good things, but, but we aren't commanded to teach English. There is no verse about youth work, no command of the Lord for certain groups to exist. So what if we just stopped them? Maybe your heart has given you an answer to this. Because some things have taken on such importance that in our minds they, that they become the gift itself rather than the instrument that we use to get closer to the gift of God. And look, I'm really sorry. If that gets your hackles up, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not going after the English club. I love it. I'm so glad we do it. What I'm trying to get at is that gentleness as a part of the fruit of the Spirit means that we are aware of the real importance behind all the things that we do. That we keep our priorities straight and that we are, not, that we are united under God as part of his church and not, in, not united in service to any other thing, be it good or bad. So rather than seeing our career or our interests as the most important thing, as the Spirit works in us and molds our character, we are to see God and his kingdom as the very pinnacle of our priorities. And as such, if we are all pulling towards that and not our own individual spheres, then unity is going to follow. This verse is all about blessing, about God blessing his people. And some of us might think that gentleness is ultimately costly to us. And that's what the world thinks, right? Right? Nice guys finish last, take up space, be assertive or whatever. 
but it's actually a blessing as you line up your priorities and desires behind what your heavenly Father has said will be good for you. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is the result of lowering our own importance and raising God's, that we will no longer be infants with all the instability and certainty that that brings, but instead we will grow into maturity in Christ. That's not a lesser life. That's not missing out. Instead of hoping in vain to find satisfaction in the expressing the, the broken desires of our hearts, God asks us to follow him so that he can remake our hearts and fulfill what we were made for. And so what we find is that the gentleness produced in us, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance, allows us to see the thing of real importance being God, which allows us to be built up into maturity and find true unity in the church. We're going to finish by thinking briefly about how we are going to walk in step with the Spirit, how we can genuinely be less impressed with our own importance and more impressed with the glory of God. Firstly, we need to consider how God has gifted us and how we, little we deserve the credit for anything that we do. Just look through this verse again. It would be so easy at each stage for us to claim the credit. Like we have worked hard at understanding. We have formed great strategies for unity. We are doing a great job. And yet at each point, Paul stresses that we only understand because of God's gift. We only have unity because of what God has done. We only see fruit because he has grown it. If you're prideful and, and struggle seeing how your talents are just gifts that God has entrusted you with, then I suggest maybe spending some time reading biographies of great heroes of the faith. See how God has used them, ordinary people, to do great things. Go out for coffee with Hudson Taylor or William Carey and see how your gifts and abilities fit within the history of the church. Pray and ask God to give you a gentle and humble heart. Now, one trap that so many of us will fall into is just having false humility, where we say the right things, but at the end of the day, it's just external moral behavior, not, not a true heart change. But recognizing that the moon just reflects the sun's light doesn't mean that it's any darker at night. If you are an expert in a topic, don't pretend not to be. Just don't push for that expertise to be seen and applauded by all. Know where you should step forward and serve, but be happy stepping back too. But maybe that isn't the difficult thing for you. Maybe what you need is to raise the importance of God in your life. And that sounds really bad, doesn't it? But it happens to us all. We downplay God's holiness and majesty. And so something else takes his place. Kids, family, ministries, all good things, but not ultimate things. If that's you, if how you view God has slipped into that image of Jesus as my buddy, as someone who is there to further your own agenda or to walk with you through your stuff, then spend some time considering passages like Psalm 33. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Or Ecclesiastes 12. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Or Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Go and read God's speech at the end of Job and see who it is that we are speaking to. Go out for a walk in creation and wonder at the being who just spoke that all into existence. As we sing in a moment, consider the the words. Consider who it is that we are praising. Consider how worthy he is. How we see ourselves and how we see God affects everything. We can raise ourselves up and try and follow this culture, express ourselves in a vain attempt to fulfill the desires of our souls. We can minimize God and reject him as king and pretend that we are in control. Or we can see who we are in the scope of eternity. Not putting ourselves down, but just realizing that the scale that we are measuring ourselves on is much, much bigger than we ever imagined. Because it's hard to be impressed by our own strength when we see God's. It's hard to feel important when you stand before the throne. It's hard to claim your rights when you experience the sheer holiness of God. So God, let us be gentle. Let us lower ourselves and raise you up. Let us be so utterly in awe of you that it leaves no room for selfish pride. Give us new hearts, hearts to praise you, hearts to obey you, hearts to follow you, hearts to reflect you, hearts to love you. Fix our eyes upon you, Lord, so that everything else takes its proper place. Lead us in a worship of you that we might be satisfied in our souls. And all God's people said,